money. You're now listening to the Gambling with Gold podcast with Jason Gold. Presented by Champions Round. What is going on? Welcome back to Gambling with Gold. My name is Jason Gold. We are here to preview the U.S. Open. And who else am I going to turn to other than my guy at Tiaf Sports? Spencer, welcome back to the show and thank you for being with us. Jason, it's always a pleasure to do this show with you. I appreciate you having me on again. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a course breakdown. We're going to go through the Spencer's model, which always is like the most insightful thing that I will hear all week. Then we're going to go through all the bets that we want to place, all the locks that we're going to place, and then we're going to go through our seven stakes, which you can enter until 6 a.m. Pacific tomorrow. We'll close that. Let's start off the top. Course breakdown. We're at the Country Club in Brookline, Mass., which is such a hilarious name for a country club, not even to have a name. It's such a Massachusetts thing to happen, but we're here. Uh, it does have some history behind it. Defending champion at the U.S. Open, obviously, at Torrey Pines, John Rahm won last year. Par 70, 7,200 yards. What do you think about the course in general, and how do you think it's going to play this week? And maybe some thoughts on the potential weather that may be coming in uh, Friday and over the weekend. Yeah, we always have to be careful during these events where we have a lack of long-term data at our disposal. It's a, you know slightly different for a U.S. Open since no matter how different you want to get, there will always be some semblance of the same statistics coming into play. But if the stats are more straightforward for all of us, it also means it's easier for sportsbooks to gain a grasp on what to expect. We can talk about how I believe that affects the market a little bit later in the show, but the venue itself looks like it's going to be a diabolical test that accentuates the features on the course. There are 70-foot trees that stymie shots mixed to the wrong angle, strategically placed bunkers and thick rough that will act as a penalty when you go wayward, and then the sinister green complexes that not only rank as some of the smallest you will see all year, but also the trickiest. I'm going to keep this breakdown of my model a little bit simpler this week because I don't believe it needs one of these long-winded answers where I try to get extremely technical into the nuances of the property. But I started with weighted tee to green for 22.5%. That was just a basic distribution of off the tee approach and around the green numbers I've collected over the past two years. I did a weighted strokes gain on POA and bent greens for 10%. That incorporated more tee to green metrics and infused some putting on similar green complexes. Weighted around the green plus sand safe percentage plus bogey avoidance for 17.5%. You can kind of start getting the feel that this model is going to be about finding golfers that can avoid mistakes. I did 10% on strokes gain total at difficult courses. A golfer that can perform during an event where even par could be the winning score is much different than someone that finds success at one of these birdie shootouts. Weighted total driving 12.5%. Missing fairways will be a death sentence and will create a headache to scramble out of the thick rough. I did 17.5% on greens and regulation mixed with long iron play. First, we want golfers that can find the short grass off the tee. Then we want who is most likely to create opportunities for those extended good lies. And then I finished all of it up with proximity from 175 plus yards plus total driving for 10%. Uh, If you were listening to it, that is a double down of the two most critical factors this week. The only difference is this highlights uh, both of those stats together. And it's going to try to give me who I believe has the best chance to avoid disaster. So in terms of a building a player profile, which you basically just did, in simple terms, we want someone that is going to, it doesn't have to be a bomber off the tee. We're not, we don't care that much about putting. We do a little bit based on the type of grass that's going to be on these greens, but not overly. We want guys who are going to find the fairway, 
and that are good long arm players and give themselves enough opportunities to avoid bogey, which obviously we know at the U.S. Open is is basically the key. It's not even about making birdies at U.S. Opens. It's about avoiding bogeys, double bogeys, et cetera. When you're right, a score like you know minus three, minus two might end up getting it done this week. Um, who are some initial players that come to mind that kind of fit your profile well? When we think of U.S. Open tests, like, and just to add on to a little bit of what you said, like distance does matter. I, I don't want to make it like it like it doesn't matter, but I always say the person that wins the U.S. Open is the one that hits it the longest and the straightest for the yeah. week. And that's why, I mean, John Rahm is the king of that. That's And I don't necessarily love him as much this week as I did last year when he won this title. I think he has some around the green game problems that might come into play. But, you know, it's I feel like every single time I come on the show, it's your Rory McIlroy's of the world. It's your Xander Shoffley's. It's these guys that are going to be really good total drivers that can hopefully have a good enough around the green game to avoid some of these disasters. And as you said, very small green complexes. Uh, it's going to be tricky fast. You know, you have false fronts where the ball can run off the surface, but uh three putt percentage is probably not as big of a issue this week. Just because, I mean, if you're three putting, you're probably putting the ball off the green in some of these spots and then you have bigger disaster on your hands that way. So you're saying that three putt isn't an issue because the greens are so small that we're not really going to be able to have the opportunity to see three putts. Less of an issue than a normal week, I would say. Like they're very quick greens. I, I like you can blow putts past the hole but uh everything like all the holes have kind of the same setup to it where everything runs from back to front and you have these false fronts so you know if you and Rory's kind of the king of doing this which is not a good thing where he hits these putts really fast past the hole and if he picks up too much speed it's not impossible that he finds himself falling off the front of the green and you know then all of a sudden you have these deep bunkers and thick rough and even if it just runs all the way down to the fairway it's going to make it harder to produce a score. Yeah, I've seen some of the videos from the eighth hole where guys are leaving it hole high and it's rolling back, you know, 50 yards off the green, which seems impossible, but at least that hole is a par five. You may be able to yeah. get away with it there. Uh, I have seen some reports around the course that the rough in the areas around the green where you want to leave it in bunkers. And if you're stuck in the rough near the green, especially if you're short side, you could be in a lot of trouble this week. So are there particular players that you think in terms of their short game around the green that may have an advantage this week. I know we've seen Cam Smith been has been awesome around the greens. There are other uh, players that come to mind that may have some success there? Like the problem with Cam Smith, if we're trying to figure out a player prototype, is I'm not so sure he can hit enough fairways to find success. Like you, you kind of need a complete package to win this tournament. And like if I look at my strokes gain around the green model, number one is Taylor Gooch. Number two is Tommy Fleetwood. Three is Jordan Spieth. Now, Fleetwood's a guy historically that, like, I think this is why he's found success at U.S. Opens is he can hit it long. He hits it straight. He has good long iron play. He has a good short game. Spieth is a little bit erratic off the tee. I like Harold Varner this week for a lot of the reasons that I'm mentioning here. Sung J M, Louis U stays in. Justin Thomas, if he can hit enough fairways. And then it's kind of like your Cameron Smiths, your Rory McIlroy's, your Scotty Scheffler's. Uh, I'm sure you're probably sick of hearing me talk about Patrick Cantley on this show. Matthew Fitzpatrick. That's obviously a lot of names I just rattled off there, but those are your guys that you're at least looking at with good short games. Look, the problem with Cantley is I love betting on Cantley too. So when you say it to me, I'm like, oh yeah, let's double down all the way. I love it. But then he's been, he's just underperformed so much yeah. in these major tournaments. That's kind of tough to keep backing him. But you know, as soon as you jump off the train, that's when it's going to happen, right? 
I think it's another good fit for him. And I'm locked into it, as I've told you and told all the listeners before. I made these bets at the end of 2021, so I have can't lay tickets during all four majors. I think this is a good setup for him, though. Uh, another guy that we're well, you know, we'll talk about the outrights a little bit later. I hope that there's another Rory one in here. It may not hit the board, given that he's the actual favorite and he won last week. But for the sake of us, we've talked about multiple majors here. We've gone through two of these podcasts, and we've had Rory for both, and he's performed well in both. So secretly, I'm hoping that he's able to get it done this week. I'm going to have to bite the bullet on maybe an 11-1 to 1 here. Um, actually, before we get to, like, top 40s turning matchups, I kind of want to go through DFS because I'm interested in seeing who you like at particular tiers. So maybe give us a little breakdown on DFS, starting with the guys who are, you know, 10,000 and above. Yeah. So if we're looking at the players 10,000 and above, like for me, my three favorite plays would be Scotty Scheffler, Justin Thomas, and Rory McIlroy. I I do think we're going to get a little bit of leverage that can be created on Scheffler and potentially Thomas. Rory's going to probably be one of the more popular plays and all these guys are going to be over 10%. You're not going to get any real leverage from the group. Your, your real leverage would come from the Cameron Smiths or Colin Morikawa's. As I mentioned, I'm out on Cameron Smith because I'm not, I'm afraid he can't hit enough fairways. Morikawa's one of those boomer bust plays that I never can seem to get right. My model's lower on him than what the price tag you have to pay. Now, he does have positive upside trajectory, which means if he's going to be, you know, seven to 10% owned, I don't hate the idea of taking a couple shots on him, but. My model has him outside the top 20 from an overall sense. So, I mean, you'd be doing so purely from a leverage standpoint with it. And I'm a little bit lower on Rom just because his last 24 rounds with the way I ran it or usually run things is through a two-year sample size. But when I ran it through the last 24 rounds, you know, he's multiple spots worse from expectation level. All right. So let's go down the board a little bit. Maybe the guys that are in this mid-tier range, a little bit below 10,000, but maybe we'll cut it off at like eight or 8,500. So I like Hideki Matsuyama this week. You know, he has really good course history at the U.S. Open, and he's won two of his last 10 tournaments. It doesn't seem like he's catching much buzz right now. Most of the ownership is going to Will Zalatoris and Shane Lowry. Don't have a problem with either one of those two guys. Not going to talk anybody out of playing them. Uh, If you force me to make a decision between the two, I probably prefer Zalatoris a little bit more. I think Cantley's a really intriguing GPP target. I always like Xander from a DraftKings sense. Like, I don't know if I necessarily can get there in the outright market at this point, but uh, third in my model overall, he's second for upside and he's fourth for safety. And I'm kind of on my own platform here where I seem to like Dustin Johnson a little bit this week. I don't have a problem on a DFS sense, especially in MME type tournaments. Like don't play him in cash games. I don't think you need to force him for single entries necessarily, but he's going to be less than 5% owned. He has a US Open under his belt. He has three top 19s at this tournament over the last four years. I don't know exactly what to expect from him, but the high end of his results show a player that plays difficult course as well and is the number one long iron player in this tournament. The bad end of it is a guy that might struggle around the greens, might not be as great out of the bunkers, but I don't know. I mean, historically, Dustin has been really good, so I don't mind taking a shot on him. And then if we take this down directly to 8,500 and stop there, I like Matthew Fitzpatrick. I think he has the short game that you want. He's kind of one of these weird hybrid players where he doesn't have the distance that you would necessarily want for a U.S. Open, but he has the accuracy. He has great off the tee numbers. He's inside the top 15 of my model for that, so... 
Uh, 17th overall, not the best number there. But when I run this over just the last 24 rounds, he jumps up to eight. So that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for in my model when I when I do have some outliers that might not be making sense on the surface. But if you can at least show me some upside on the back end. That's what I would like to see. Okay, so two questions before we get to the best that everybody's waiting for. One, have you seen in the DFS market or maybe the market in general that the ownership on the players that are in live is lower in some sort of like, I don't know, people like me, random Americans who are gambling, like, screw the live guys. I don't want to bet on them. I don't want them on my DK teams this week. Yeah, I you almost see it across the board with every single player. And I guess part of the argument you could make is every single live player that's coming to the tournament this week is not necessarily bringing their A game from what we've seen historically. Like, I don't want to necessarily get too much. It's a very touchy subject with it. But, yeah. um, you know, you have a lot of these guys that are past the height of their career. They're probably on the back end. A guy like Dustin, I, I do believe is, you know, I think if he was coming in playing PGA Tour events, you might have a different thing. But even if you look at it, if you take away the player's championship, there hasn't really been that many results from him that you can be that encouraged by. So, um, you know, I like Taylor Gooch for, for a live guy. He's probably my second favorite play that's not named Dustin Johnson. But the rest of the guys, I'm kind of just fine letting them beat me if they do, even if the ownership is lower. Yeah, I was just surprised because I was looking at some of the DJ numbers. I couldn't believe how low he is in the market. I understand that he is not as highly ranked as he once was, but he's still DJ. This is still a exactly. guy who can get it done. So I was pretty surprised, and I was wondering if it was just a backlash from the, the golfing community to be like, I don't want to bet on Dustin Johnson because of his decision to go to live versus what, what he's actually been playing like uh, in real life. I don't know. I mean, it's really tough when you look at like he missed the cut at the PGA championship. He came 59th at the Byron Nelson. He missed the cut at the RBC heritage. Fine result at the masters. Good result where he competed at the players championship, but three straight tournaments where a 59th is his best result. Like that's just going to naturally bring down the ownership when Zalatoris in majors has been incredible this year. A guy like Shane Lowry is on fire right now. Xander has U.S. Open history that's about as beautiful as I've ever seen for a guy who doesn't get the job done. There's five top seven finishes in his career there. So I think it's just more so of the players that are priced around him than anything. But sure, I don't think the live situation necessarily helps. Okay, so last thing before we get to our top 40 turning matchups, etc., I want to run through your top 10 players in your rankings this week because I don't think that I've ever heard you break it down where you're actually like, here are my top 10 guys in my model this week. Do you want me to run it from an overall sense or from yeah. it? Perfect. Overall, so yeah. num number one, Justin Thomas. Number two, our boy, Rory McIlroy. Number three, Xander Shoffley. Number four, Tony Finau. I really like Tony Ooh. Finau this week. Number five, Will Zalatoris. Number six, Scotty Scheffler. Scheffler sees some upside to him when I run this, uh, you know, to try to win the tournament. That's what you would expect for a player like him who's number one in the world. Number seven, Shane Lowry. Number eight, Sung J.M. He's arguably the most mispriced guy on DFS sites. Uh, 7,600, he's going to be super popular. You know, it's something you're going to either have to get way overweight or way underweight on him. John Rahm is number nine. And then I made a minor change to my model today that made Hideki Matsuyama number 10. All right. That was very interesting. And I think the Finau thing in there is really, really interesting. I understand he's played well, but to see him, would you have a number, number four in, on this list? Number four, number three for safety and number three when I ran it for the exact stats I used over just the last 24 rounds. 
All right. It sounds like I'm betting some money on Tony Finau this week. All right. Let's get to the top 40s that you have on the board right now. And I want you to start with my guy, my Oregon Duck, Aaron Wise. I know that you have a couple plays on him this week. I do. So Aaron Wise, like Tony Finau, Aaron Wise, those are probably my two favorite players in general this weekend. So Aaron Wise, top 40, plus 100 on DraftKings. That is minus 140 on FanDuel. My model had about 50 points of value on this wager at the price from a two-year perspective. The long-term total usually means more to me since it allows under-the-radar value to be found when the current form isn't being completely baked into the price. But it just so happens that Wise jumps even higher on my model We can, can when we condense the data down to feature only the past 24 rounds. We see him rank first in this entire field when we combine GIR percentage and long iron play. And the upside is there for him to compete on the first page of the leaderboard if he can make some putts. The fact that he has gained with the flat stick in four of his last five tournaments is really encouraging for me. We'll get into him a little bit more when we get into the outright sector because, you know, it sounds outlandish at the time, but, you know, we've seen this in the past where guys that might be on this career trajectory turn it around and all of a sudden you win a major and everything changes. So that's Aaron Wise plus 100 on DraftKings. I took Harold Varner the third top 40 plus 115 on FanDuel. You know, Varner's lack of perceived win equity is overly hurting him in most of these markets. And while there are concerns about the volatility and random implosions that do take place, and we saw that at the Memorial, that was not a pretty sight from him, but the American places 21st overall in my model over the past two years. And we see him jump to an impressive 13th when running this for upside over the last 24 rounds. I tried to pinpoint golfers this week that had a combination of long-term form and recent metrics that blended well together. And Probably Wise and Varner are the two guys that you're looking for if you're trying to find both of those things. And then the last name I will give that unfortunately moved in odds, it's down to, I believe, plus 145 now. I got it at plus 165. That would be Brian Harmon. That was more of a number grab than anything else, but Harmon has provided four top 38 finishes at the US Open during his last four attempts. And a lot of those showings came at venues where his lack of distance should have likely been a larger deterrent than he will experience at Brookline. I don't know. I mean, at 145, like obviously things change and that's the one thing to point out here, but um, that's where I'm at this week with it. And and I just to correct what I just said, I believe the Varner mistake came at the Charles Schwab, not the Memorial. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's move over to turning matchups that you are targeting. You are the king of head to head in my eyes. So why don't we knock a couple of those out and make some money for the people out there? I have a few that I added last night that I've only mentioned in my Vegas report article over at Rotoballer, and now I will do it on here. Uh, unfortunately, I did not double check to see if they had moved yet or not, but we always play this game, Jason, where a lot of these head-to-head plays that I recommend, you know, I call them steam trains where they're hard to catch up to once the price starts to get rolling. I'll give everything that I recommended in my article, though. So my favorite play on the board is probably going to, once again, be Aaron Wise minus 105 over Davis Riley on DraftKings. That price opened at plus 105. It moved to minus 105 before I could recommend it. It's then moved again to minus 110 as of last night. The proper number for me is minus 125. So we are starting to get close to what an accurate price is. But these are situations that I love finding weekly where we can take on some of the current form truthers that overinflate and bake in too much of the recent metrics. That doesn't mean Riley can't continue this trend since he has provided those results at both difficult and easy courses. But sports betting is always about finding the overcorrections to the market since edges are never quite as large in most spots as you would hope. Wise has been equally as good over the past two months, if not better statistically. And he's also a much better target when we extend the data out 
to try and land a baseline projection for each golfer. I bet Luke List minus 110 over KH Lee on DraftKings. To be honest, Luke List might not be the best head-to-head option since he's 0-2 and made cuts in the U.S. Open himself. But this is more of looking for ways to take on KH Lee where I can. The South Korean ranks 107th in his career at challenging courses, 90th in weighted total driving, and the picture only further fades with his 83rd place total when it comes to weighted proximity. I don't mind considering Siwoo Kim plus 330 over KH Lee, Sung J M, and Juhung Kim on DraftKings as the top South Korean golfer. If for some reason you didn't want to backlist against him or if that number has moved, but as long as we can avoid the miscut versus miscut sort of battle, I do like the value. And then these next three plays um, are Bovada plays. Bovada has a very, I don't want to say bad habit, I guess it's a good habit for us of mispricing these plays. And then they change it later in the week. So, you know, I'm worried that these numbers might not still be there anymore. This is more of the plays I was talking about. But Daniel Berger minus 110 over Billy Horschel. KH Lee was the third most mispriced player on the board for me. Horschel is actually number one. My model does give Billy an upgrade if I only run the data over the past 24 rounds. But even that still lands him as a decently overpriced choice. You can kind of see the theme where my model respects extended metrics and not random two or three events worth of good showings. Alexander Shoffley minus 110 over Cameron Smith. That's not going to come as a shock to anybody who's been listening. Smith's success at contests like the Masters has been aided at times because of the wide open nature of the facility, which in turn creates less of a red flag for the baseline projection my model has that suggests him to be 95th ranked player in this in the world when it comes to total driving. Any sharp market that you look at has Xander at minus 150. You know, as I mentioned, he has five top seven finishes at the U.S. Open. That weighs very heavily in my safety marks. And then the final play I will give, this is my least favorite one of the group. I would assume this one is still out there because I, I do know that markets seem to like Cameron Young a little bit. But Aaron Wise, minus 105 over Cameron Young. Like, trust me, the Wise over Riley play is much better than this if you can find it. But I did think Wise should have been the favorite here. And I'm pretty much at the point right now where I'm trying to get as much exposure to him as I can. All right. Finally time. Outright winners. We're going to hit one. I swear <laughs> to God, before the end of 2022, we will hit a major outright. We've come close. We we came close on Rory last time. We came Rory close the second time. We finished second and eighth. We're going to get one here. So give me the good, Spencer. What do we got? I wish I could say we're going to get one here. I we're going to get one. You got to be positive. We're going to get one. This card of mine is very ugly to start. So let me start okay. with, with this before anything. I think my two, but if you were to just ask me, and I don't necessarily want to bet them at 35 to one and 30 to one, like these are players I wanted at 50 to one. And maybe we get a drift last minute. Maybe you can find an opening at some point on Thursday night or Friday night. Once the tournament has started. I really am interested in getting a Tony Finau number or a Sam Burns number. I'm just not going to play them at 30 to one, but you know, I mentioned during my course breakdown, how markets were affected from books, having an easier job, creating numbers for their algorithm. The one thing I didn't mention though, is how I assume they found themselves in a similar spot as I did when I ran my numbers for the week, take the top 15 or 20 golfers and you get this jumbled together pack where the win equity is decently spread out between the group. I think it's one of the reasons why we have seen many books as of this moment not give us this last minute surge where they fight for every last dollar by lowering the whole percentage on a few of the elite names. We have seen minor shifts, but I'm not sure any of the shops want to provide an opening to a golfer. 
especially when they are likely having a hard time dissecting them from each other. Um, you know, maybe that answer has more to do with books getting a fairly even spread of action and whatever automation they use just isn't finding a need to adjust the price for anyone. But just wanted to point that out there that this card doesn't necessarily have the high end choices that I normally am on like Rory. Finau and Burns will be the two guys I'm looking to add if everything rolls out the right way. But uh, I will save us the semantics of my weekly Patrick Cantlay tout from the collection of tickets I have. I do want to just say he is the number one player for me on POA plus bent greens. He's inside the top 10 for scrambling. I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss it. 30 to one is the number that I got before the tournament in 2021. That is also what I have a proper number on him. So if you're looking for prices on him, that's not going to show as being a value play. But the one thing I do want to throw out there is when you run this tournament for upside and you get rid of all of the safety from the mix, Cantley jumps more into the 22 to one range. And as I always say, a second place finish is as good as a miscut with this. So we can buy into some of this Cantley being volatile. Like if you don't want to play him on DraftKings necessarily, and you don't want to put him into a head to head matchup, I get that. But I'm still fine betting Cantley for the time being, because I think the upside, if he does pop, can come through. I bet Max Homa at 66 to one. That number's unfortunately gone also, but you know, I've noticed this trend or my model, I should say, has noticed this trend that during the Wells Fargo and Genesis over the past year, when he's won tournaments, my two-year model doesn't seem to like him, but when I run things over the past 24 rounds, he seems to get these surges and these boosts of production and Homa's kind of in that sort of surge right now. And then I will include Harold Verner the third and Aaron Wise together at 100 to 1. I have used this example multiple times this week if you have listened to any of my shows. But Wise and Varner aren't that much different than Amito Pereira, who was one tee shot away on 18 from capturing the PGA Championship. And I know the natural answer to that would be that he didn't win. But we can look at a golfer like Gary Woodland at the 2019 US Open or Keegan Bradley at the PGA Championship in 2011 and point to very similar golfers where it would have seemed outlandish for them to get a major championship until it happened or until it happened. You know, like it's one of those things that you can't believe it until you see it. And why seems to be trending more so than even Varner. Like I prefer wise if I'm directly choosing between the two, but I think a hundred to one's a really good number. Both of those players are top 13 upside players for me. And I have wise correctly priced at 50 to one. So any number you can find out there is going to show as a value. All right. Go Ducks. Lots of Aaron Wise action this week. I can't wait to bet on that. All right. Let's close out the show with the seven stakes that I promised before. You have until 6 a.m. Pacific tomorrow to enter that. And we have a Jack Nicholas signed hat on the line for the winner. So let's Very jump nice. right into it. Best finish in Group A. Justin Thomas, 145. Rory McIlroy, 170. Scotty Scheffler, plus 205. Rom, plus 235. Cameron Smith plus 265 and Colin Morikawa plus 315. I would have probably flipped Morikawa and Smith with their prices, but I think you got the rest of them spot on with the order that you put them. You know, Thomas, Rory, and Scheffler are all close, but I refuse to do a show with you where Rory isn't mentioned as the winner of something. Give me Rory at plus 170 just to keep with tradition. All right. Love that. Uh, best finish in group B, Brooks Kepka plus 210. Xander Shoffley plus 215, Patrick Cantlay plus 305, Spieth plus 320, Matthew Fitzpatrick plus 360, and Victor Hovland plus 395. I like the Cantlay number. I am going to take Xander, though, plus 215. I'm not sure it's the best value since Cantlay, and even Fitzpatrick, for that matter, probably are going to carry better you know, points. I don't know about leverage necessarily in the contest, but 
at least now I can feel like I have some exposure to Rory and Xander since I want to bet each every week as it is. Love it. All right. Uh, best finish in Group C, Will Zalatoris plus 250, Hideki Matsuyama plus 265, Sam Burns plus 280, Shane Lowry plus 325, Neiman plus 345, and Cameron Young plus 370. It seems like there's a lot of guys in here that you would like. I want to say that everyone in that group besides Cameron Young is in the top 12 or 13 for me on my model. Uh, if I'm basing this directly on what my model believes, Zalatoris would be the pick, but I'm going to take Sam Burns since I won an outright on him, and I do think he possesses a lot of upside. By the way, I don't think this is how the game was meant to be played of me making choices that act as some sort I love of a it. fix. It's acting as some sort of a fix for me. I've turned this into who did I not bet that needs to be mentioned in some capacity because I'm addicted to betting all these golfers. Oh, that's what we're here for. Great. I love it. Um, actually, we, we didn't talk at all about Neiman. How do you feel about him this week? I, I like him. He's number – so Neiman is 12th and he's 12th for upside. He's ninth for safety. I think you can fit him into DFS builds. I think if you want to consider him as an outright bet, he's a very sneaky guy this week. All right. Best finish in Group D. Uh, answer plus 235. Daniel Berger plus 265. Homa plus 320. Sung J M plus 345. Fleetwood plus 365. And I know where you're going because I know the last one. Tony Finau plus 400. Well, add Finau to the mix of this new game. I am playing at plus 400, but although he is ranked as the highest player on my model, he would have been my choice regardless of the situation. All right. Best finish in Group E. Hatton plus 285. Billy Horschel plus 290. Corey Connors plus 305. Justin Rose plus 310. Webb Simpson plus 325. And Adam Scott plus 350. If you listen to my shows, you will know that the best player in the world is Jason Day. The second best player is Webb Simpson. I do believe Connors would be the highest ranked player for me at 20th overall. But with his lack of U.S. Open results, you know, historically for him and probably the fade-worthy candidates elsewhere, I will add Simpson to this dream team of mine that I'm creating. What a team it is. We got Rory, Xander, Matsuyama, Finau, Webb Simpson. Let's get into Group F. Bubba Watson plus 215, Gary Woodland plus 235. Jason Day, oh my God, he's going to end up on this team somehow. Plus 280. Jason Cockrack, uh, 335. Leishman, 350. And Siwoo Kim, 375. So first off, Day is not even in this field, and yet you are still tempting me with a good time. You're right. You know, it, it defeats the purpose if I take someone that can't compete, right? Yes, I think so. I don't know. I like, I oh God, I hate this entire group. By the way, I also you said Bubba too, right? I did. I think Bubba's not in this tournament either. Yeah, we probably should adjust that. But all right, so you're down to Woodland plus 235, Cockrack at 335, Leishman 350, and Siwoo Kim at 375. I do not like this group. Um, I will take Siwoo Kim at plus 375 for the sake of value. But if you want to be super contrarian, Jason Day. (laughs) Yeah, he'll earn you zero points, but at least you won't lose. It's like a normal Uh, week for me at this point. Yeah, well, he's probably going to produce the exact same not playing versus <laughs> playing at this point, right? Exactly. He just doesn't have to. Sh- he doesn't have to show up for two days and not make any money. Perfect. Um, all right, last one. Winning score of the U.S. Open. I'm going to leave this blank. I'm going to let you tell me what you think the winning score is going to be, and if it's going to be over or under minus four, and which which side of that you would kind of land on, uh, because I think that would be more fun and have people go look at what the actual odds are on our site because they're interesting. 
so if you made me give a number, um, I, I'm going to say like if you six under would be my projected number of what I believe the winning score would be. Um, I'm curious to hear where that sets on this. And, you know, it could go either way with it, but I do think there's going to be maybe a couple more birdies than people are expecting. Okay. So minus six is our top odd. It's plus 235. That's number one on the board. Minus seven is plus 315. Minus five plus 425. Minus eight plus 750. Minus four or less plus 800. Minus nine or more plus 1200. I mean, I'm going to contradict myself based off of that answer now with it. You're um, going to take minus four or less? I'm going to take minus four or less with it. I just think it's more likely it gets to four under or less than it gets to, what did you say, nine under or higher? Yeah, that's the plus 1,200 one. But the rest, six, seven, five, eight. Uh, the line in Vegas, I believe, is minus four and a half. I think they have it at 275 and a half is the number. So, um, yeah, interesting. I would probably take minus four or less also. Although I agree with you, I think that based on some conditions and the way that some of these guys are hitting the ball, I think we're probably going to see a minus six or a minus seven. But you're right. Yeah. I get I get minus four and every number under, so I would probably take that long G shot. Give me a bunch one. of numbers there. There's a chance that this plays at like even par, and um, I do think it's most likely that it plays at five under, six under, seven under, eight under. And I think that pricing's really good that you did there because it's going to probably be most likely that one of those numbers lands in. You know, me trying to big brain this game is going to work opposite of the way that it should work. But I don't know if you're going to give me a bunch of numbers. That's the way that I'm going to play it. All right. Last thing before we head out of here and let you go take a nap because you've worked way too hard this week. <laughs> Favorite bet on the board. If we were betting one thing, what would be the bet? If you can still find Aaron Wise at anywhere near minus 110 against Davis Riley, it would be that. Um, I do really like a Xander Shoffley play if you can over Cameron Smith, if you can find that anywhere near minus 120. I do know, as I said, a lot of these sharper books are moving the price. If you have a Bovada, check to see if you can still find a minus 110. But uh, pretty much anything Aaron Wise this week for me, I'm going to be living and dying by what he does. All righty. I love to hear that. All right. You can go find Spencer at on Twitter at TF Sports. He's the host of the Better Golf Podcast. You can also hear him on the Action Network. Spencer, until next time, thank you, as always, for joining us. Let's make thank some money, guys. people. It's time to hit. And outright, let's go. See you guys later.